So I hope that you all enjoyed your Easter. Um, mine personally was pretty amazing. I had the opportunity to witness over 3,000 people in our community hear the good news of Jesus Christ, um, which was pretty incredible. And then I personally got to see around 100 second through fifth graders accept Jesus as their savior for the first time. Um, so that's pretty cool as well. Guys, God is moving in, in such a huge way that in all of my 24 years I've never experienced before. Um, I know that doesn't sound like a lot of time, but it's more the years than you guys have, okay? And uh, it's been really cool, so I hope that you guys are glimpsing some of that as well. So last week we heard about the final 24 hours of Jesus' life, and we learned that they were brutal. Jesus experienced so much pain and suffering, and he endured it until finally, eventually, he died on the cross. Why? Well, to put it extremely simply, it was because he loves you very, very much. And when I heard this story as a kid, the story of Easter, I never really questioned it. You know, if my Sunday school teacher said it, good enough for me. But then as I got older, that old adage of, well, Jesus died for my sins wasn't really enough for me anymore because I started to question it. I started to wonder, what does that actually mean, like logistically, for Jesus to die for my sins? How does that even work? And so simple facts stated were no longer good enough anymore. I wanted and I needed more. And I felt led to tell you guys tonight that if you find yourself in the same boat, if you find yourself having questions and not really knowing the answers when it comes to faith or Jesus or the Bible or the miracle of Easter, just know that doesn't make you a bad Christian that it's 100% okay, and it's good. Because God is not afraid of your questions. He can handle them. And the truth is, if you dig deeper into the story of Easter, what you won't uncover is a sham or lies perpetuated by religion. But instead, you will see an event that actually happened in history that is scientifically backed, biblically backed, and historically backed. And hopefully tonight what we can do is kind of dig in a little bit more to this incredible event that changed each and every person in this room's fate as well as in the rest of the world. And we can find out what actually happened on that night that Jesus died and directly after. And that's kind of the goal in this series that we're going to be in for these next couple weeks is we're going to be looking at what happened next. What happens after Jesus meets his fate on the cross directly afterwards. And so tonight we're gonna to pick up the story where we left off last week. So Jesus has died a brutal death on the cross, but he doesn't stay dead. A little bit of a spoiler that we already knew. That's all Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday is about. Jesus comes back to life. But why did Jesus choose death? Okay, we know it forgave us of our sins, but how logistically does that work that doesn't really make a lot of sense to just the human brain? Well, the truth is, if you get some context and some answers, it might really help you understand Jesus and his love for you. And so I went on the internet because there's some people out there that are way smarter than me, and this video perfectly explains the meaning of Jesus' sacrifice and atonement. So let's check it out. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice, but there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. 
There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. Yeah, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also oh. ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and, and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. And this is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus's death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus's death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus's blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But 
there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. Okay, so what did we learn? Well, first things first, every single one of us sin, which it's a fancy church word for we mess up, we make mistakes all of the time. Now the world just likes to say, yeah, well, you know, just do the best that you can do. But the Bible says, if you sin, there has to be a cost that needs to be paid. And the Bible is very clear. It says the cost of sin is death in Romans 6.23. And so throughout history, there have been a couple of different ways where people have had to pay for their sin. In that video, we heard that during the time of the Old Testament, so that means before Jesus came to earth, that God allowed people to atone or pay for their sins using animals' lives instead of their own. Some blood had to be shed. Some death had to come about. And so they would use animals instead of themselves. And so back then, God's relationship with people was very transactional. It was if and then. If you do this, then I will do this. An example of this is Exodus 19.5. It says, and remember, Exodus is in the Old Testament. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my, my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. So if you obeyed, then you were blessed. And this made it to where everything was dependent on one's own works, their own actions, their own behavior. Well, this was kind of a flawed system. Why? Because it depends on us being good people. And as we know, we make mistakes. And so it had to do with their own righteousness and that wasn't going to work. And so God knew this, and so that's why it's called the Old Covenant. And that's why he had another plan when this would no longer work anymore, and it became something of the past. Hebrews 8.13 says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date, and it will soon disappear. And so this Old Covenant, this old way of doing things and atoning for our sins is something of the past, something that lives only in the Old Testament. The New Covenant began as soon as Jesus died on that cross because he says, okay, no longer do you guys have to sacrifice little bunnies or lambs or whatever it is. Instead, I will pay the ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice that you will ever need, my blood will be enough to cover all of it. And so now, no longer is it based upon our works or our righteousness, but instead, Jesus. And Jesus, as we know, is perfect. He's the Son of God in every single way. And so this is a much, much better system. Jeremiah, again, this is a book in the Old Testament, 31, says that God is speaking. The day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. So that's just God's people. This covenant won't be like the old one that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I brought them out of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. I will be their God. They will be my people and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So Jesus flips the script. No longer is it about our own deeds. No wonder is it about us 
earning our way. Instead, Jesus is saying, I will do it. It will suddenly become about me being able to forgive them and me forgetting their sins. See, this was the plan from the very beginning to use Jesus in order to get rid of the ritual of sacrifice in place of relationship with him. And that's why he died. So that our eternity would no longer be based upon the, our own ability to follow the law, but instead his. So does that mean then that we can kind of just live our lives however we want? We know that Jesus died. We know that his sin or his blood is enough to cover any sin that we could ever commit. So then why do we even try? Why do we even avoid sin at all? Why do we even try to obey the law? Can't we just have the understanding that Jesus is just going to get us into heaven and we kind of can do what feels good while here on earth? Well, no, that's not what the Bible says. See, Jesus died so that you could have sex outside of marriage with your boyfriend or girlfriend. He died so that you could have lustful thoughts about that guy or girl at school. He died so that you could live a double life where you act one way in one place and completely different in another. And he died so that you could disrespect authority. He died so that you could do all of these things and not have to die in order to pay for them. But does that mean that you should? Just because you can, does that mean that you should? And if you say, well, that's kind of how I've been living my life thus far. Kind of believe in Jesus, and I'm kind of hoping that whatever I do won't really matter in the end, because hopefully his blood will be enough to cover it. But this way of thinking is kind of icky. If you want to exploit that sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, by continuing to act as if your sins don't matter, while willingly and knowingly accepting that it was his blood that had to pay for it, then so be it. That's your choice. If you want to act like your sin is no big deal and that the sacrifice that Jesus made wasn't a big deal either, then fine. You probably still will be able to go to heaven. But I'm hoping that tonight and in these next few weeks as we begin to discover Jesus' character and his love for us, that suddenly we won't view our sin as not a big deal anymore. That we won't see him as a get out of jail free card anymore that instead we can start to look at our actions and say, man, Jesus died so that I could do that. Jesus died so that I could mess up in this way, in this way, in this way, and I'm hoping that it reframes the way that we look at sin and our struggles, and hopefully we'll be able to understand that it's so much bigger, so much bigger than you just being able to act the way that you want. But this is a man that sacrificed himself for you, who is willing to give up his own life in order to repair a broken system. And I think he's asking us not to take that for granted. We all know the story of Adam and Eve. They were the very first people that God ever created, and they lived in a beautiful, perfect garden called Eden. And in this garden, they could do whatever they want. It was perfect. It was paradise as close to heaven as earth could ever get. But they had one rule. What was the rule? Don't eat the fruit, right? Don't eat the fruit from the one tree called the tree of good and evil. Just don't eat the fruit. You can literally do anything else. But of course, Adam and Eve were human, and they broke that rule. They committed that first sin of disobeying God, allowing evil to enter into the world. 
Now, you might think that, a, that Eve alone ate the fruit, but theologians are very, very clear. Adam was present too, okay? And Adam also ate the fruit. So they did this act together. They disobeyed God together. But for just a second, I want us to pretend as if Adam wasn't present for this. That when Eve decided to eat the fruit from the tree of good of evil and disobey God, that Adam was across the garden, completely unknowing, and did not himself partake. If this, is ha- this would have happened, then God would have had to go to Adam and, and say to him, I'm so sorry to tell you this, son, but your bride that I created for you has sinned. And so she's going to have to die because the cost must be paid. Now, we know that that didn't happen, but did a conversation like this happen in heaven? Did God the Father have to go to God the Son after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and God say to Jesus, I'm so sorry to tell you this, Son, but your bride that I created for you has sinned, and so she is going to have to die. To which Jesus probably would have said, but I don't want her to die. And God would have responded, but she sinned. The cost of sin is death. So I'm sorry, son, but your, your bride is going to die. And Jesus would have said, no, I'll die for her. This is exactly what happened as soon as sin entered the world, as Jesus said, okay, it has to be me. Yeah, we can try this animal sacrifice. Yeah, they can try and atone for their sins. But I know at the end of the day that they will never, ever be able to earn it that they will never, ever be able to deserve it. And that fallen world is going to need a savior. And that savior is going to have to be me. That's what his death is about. That's why he did it. But remember, the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end in the grave because that's not when he died. Jesus never died because he fought and he came back to life and he rose again. And just as that video explained, he did that for a reason too. And that reason was for you, so that you could have a living Savior that continues time after time after time to pursue you and love you and give you answers and give you healing and have a relationship with you. And so when he returned from that grave and he came back from heaven down onto earth again, he said, okay, I'm going to come back. Why? Because yes, I died for their sins but that doesn't guarantee that every single person in this world will hear about it. So he came back, spent some time on earth in order to equip his disciples so that they could go and educate people and spread the good news around the world. That's what comes next. Jesus saying, it's not enough for me to die. I still want more. I still want to do more for them. I still want to be there for them. I still need to make sure that they have an opportunity to hear about me and my love and devotion for them. And so with all of that being said tonight, I feel like the Lord is wanting to ask a couple of questions of us. How are we living in light of the cross? Has it changed us? Has it changed the way that we look at the world? Has it changed the way that we look at sin? Are you still living as if we're under the old covenant? Or are you living from the new covenant? 
So let me give you an example. If you're living in the old covenant, this might describe you. You feel like you have to earn God's love and devotion. You feel like you have to earn your way into heaven. That you have to be careful to not mess up so that you don't lose his love. That you're always, always striving and you never find rest because you never feel like you're enough for the people around you or enough for him. That's old covenant way of thinking. It's not how it is anymore. Maybe you say, no, not really living like that. I get it. I don't have to earn it. But maybe you're going too far in the other way where you're actually exploiting the new covenant. Meaning you're acting as if your sin doesn't really matter. You just do whatever you want because it feels good and the world tells you that it's okay. Either way, whatever extreme you're going in, it's as if you're spinning on the cross. It's as if you're turning your back to Jesus who died for you and saying, yeah, wasn't for me, wasn't enough. But Jesus is saying, no, it was for you. Please just accept my grace exactly as it is. Please understand that you don't have to earn my love. You don't have to earn my acceptance. You don't have to earn my grace. It is freely given to you. And when you mess up, I will be right there just waiting, just waiting for you to come to me so that I can heal your heart and forgive you. But he also wants you to know that your sin does matter. It does have consequences. And no, you're, you're not gonna go to hell if you are saved but there's earthly consequences. If you choose to act as if your sin doesn't matter, that sin will eventually separate you from God to where you are completely vulnerable to whatever the enemy wants to have against you. And if you choose to continue to act as if your sin doesn't matter, you will never be a light in this world and people will never find Jesus through you, which is the one purpose that every single one of you and I have in this room. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, just want to close tonight and talking to this perfect father. And so Jesus, first and foremost, we just thank you. We're not going to pretend like one day in the entire year of Easter is enough for us to just recognize you on that one day and what you did on that cross. God, we choose to say thank you every single day. Thank you, God. And now I just pray that you meet every single one of us in this room exactly where we're at. However, our view is twisted of the cross right now. God, I pray that you will bind up the attack of the enemy and his lies and you will cast it away in Jesus' name and that you will restore our understanding of sin. You will restore our understanding of eternity and what your role within that is. And that we can understand that sin costs us something. Consequence but it will never cost us our eternity because of your work on that cross, God. And so whether we're living as if it's still the old covenant and we're trying to earn your love and we're trying to earn your grace, or whether we're acting as if our sin has no bearing whatever on our life, God, either way, we just ask for your forgiveness. We lay those things down at your feet, God. We're so, so sorry. 
just restore our hearts and our minds to you now and empower us to go forward differently as you would want us to, God. Thank you. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.